Welcome back to another Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. And Chuck is on a roll already. I hope you guys enjoy the show today as we talk about the new releases, what's on DVD, VOD, and the Critics' Choice Awards is just literally around the corner. So we're going to be talking about that as well because both Chuck and I will be attending. Are you going? I am. They're letting you back in they after are. last year? I know. Okay. <laughs> well, obviously, they didn't vet the invitations that well this time, no, but they're going to the, let you back in. The blotter didn't get released before oh. the invitation, so I think it was okay. All right. All right. Well, I got you back. I'll, I'll look out for you when we're out there. Hey, hey, I'm really curious. You know, we're into the new year now by a week or so. And I was wondering, do you come up with any New Year's resolutions? I do. Yeah? Do you I, have one this year? Yes, I do, and it's the same one that I've failed at over many years. You know, I read the other day that 80% of people don't follow through on you know, their New Year's resolutions. I'm surprised it's not and, higher than that. And I am part of that 80% all the time. So, but as I'm getting older and my health is failing, I need to maybe be a little bit more uh, diligent as far as that goes. Yeah. But I have to lose some weight. Okay, all right. That's a, so. that's a good goal, it is. Well, it is a good goal. Yeah. It's just a matter of... Doing Sticking it. To it. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know, my, my uh, left arm is numb a good chunk of the time. So that's a sign, I think. And I'm laughing, but I have a feeling you're not joking. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> here, here. Hit this with a hammer, okay? Can I it's cut gonna it really? be fine. Yeah, yeah. I won't feel a thing. So yeah, maybe I need to do something about that. But uh, we'll see. All right. Okay. Would you like to know what my New Year's resolution is? Oh yeah, because when someone asks a right. question, they usually are waiting for it to be asking them. This Pam, is true. do you have a New Year's resolution? Chuck, thank you so much for asking. Yes, I do. I have vowed not to have internal road rage or external. <laughs> so you're n- so nothing that okay. happens on the road right. is going to upset you. I am I'm going to give that a shot. I've I've started already. <laughs> Chuck and I I've been in the car you. with her many times. <laughs> and it's it's not pretty. It's not. It's a catharsis. It's hilarious <laughs> actually. It is hilarious. So you know, I, to help you with this, I can drive more often. If you want it. No, no, I, I, that's okay. I'll, I'll continue to drive into the city. I'm, I'm good with that. And I am going to make a change this year. And I am not going to get angry at all the bad drivers out there. <laughs> are, are you ready to part, be part of that 80%? Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. I no, I am in the 20%. You're going to be in the yep. 20%. Hey, I'm this. always in the 20%. Uh, there are 20% of critics are female. So there we go. So I'm just going to go along with that 20%. I am okay. going to succeed at this year's New Year's resolution. Okay, there will be updates on this. So uh, <laughs> stay tuned. We'll see how long this lasts. All right. Speaking of... Uh, uh, violence. Let's go to 1917. That's one of our first releases that is out this week, 1917. Chuck, you are the history buff, so I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and let's have a conversation because it's kind of cool. It's a neat It's a neat <laughs> film. Sam Mendes, uh, the director of Jarhead, American Beauty, Road to Perdition. Apparently, he based this World War I film on stories that he heard from his grandfather, who was a veteran. And as uh, in an interview I read, he said that you know none of the stories really had happy endings, but that they were more about, you know, just the the awful conditions that he and his compatriots had dealt with, his grandfather, and he wanted to capture that in this film. And more than anything, I think that's what I came away from with this movie, was the horrific details, you know, of World War One. You know, you read about them, you see pictures, uh, there's not much film footage, I mean, there is some, but, but, there, but, but there's not much. And I think that this story, this very simple story, captures that 
in a way that few war films do. I can't remember who the director was, but one famous director said that the problem with making a war film is that you may go in wanting to make an anti-war movie, right. but it's very difficult because of the very nature of the violence that it contains okay. and how the intent of the characters usually seems positive. He says it's very difficult to make an anti-war film, but 1917, I think, is a complete success as far as being an anti-war film. Right. You see not only what it does to the land and the environment, but also to the men involved in it. It's a simple story. It's about two young soldiers who have been given a mission. They have got to cross enemy lines and go warn another company of soldiers that they are about to fall into a trap that will lead to all of their deaths. And the trick is, though, is that Mindy's decided to make this appear as though it's one unbroken take, that we are following these two guys every step of the way. He sustains that for about an hour, I think. There's an obvious break in which that is, is, is then put to the wayside for a good chunk of the time, which is fine. But I think the, the trick with that is that we really are, as close as you can be in a movie, in these guys' shoes. I mean, you are with them every step of the way. And that, I thought, was, again, a great way of driving home that anti-war message. Movie has its problems, but overall I thought it was a, a very well done piece of work. Let's listen to a clip of you talked about them going on this mission. And Colin Firth is the uh, general, the commander. The guy who gives them the, the bad news. The guy who gives them the bad news that you're going to go <laughs> deliver a message and you have to do it overnight or this one young man's brother is going mm -hmm. to die. Let's listen to a clip from that right now. Colonel McKenzie is in command of the second. He sent word yesterday morning he was going after the retreating Germans. He is convinced he has them on the run. That if he can break their lines now, he will turn the tide. He's wrong. Colonel McKenzie has not seen these aerials of the enemy's new line. Come around here, gentlemen. Three miles deep, field fortifications, defenses, artillery, the like of which we've never seen before. The second are due to attack the line shortly after dawn tomorrow. They have no idea what they're in for. And we can't warn them. As a parting gift, the enemy cut all our telephone lines. Your orders are to get to the second at Kwasi Wood, one mile southeast of the town of Lacoste. Deliver this to Colonel Mackenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions. 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. Yeah, as I say, I mean, it's, it's a simple premise. Right. But, but I think that that works to the film's advantage because I think Mendez wants to drive home the horror of the situation more than anything. Right, and, and it's kind of a thriller. It's a race against the clock. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a basic concept for a film. You know, get to from point A to point B before something happens. And I liked... In the beginning part, without giving anything away, I loved the camaraderie between the two characters. Yeah. We've got George McKay, who plays one of the young men, and Dean Charles Chapman. Together, they're, they're polar opposites, but they're wonderful together. Let's listen to a clip of them as they're walking along in the beginning part of their mission. Did you hear that story about Wilco? How he lost his ear? Not in the mood. Keep your eyes on the trees, top of the ridge. Bet he told you it was shrapnel. What was it then? Well, 
You know his girl's a hairdresser, right? And he was moaning about the lack of bathing facilities when he wrote to her. Remember those rancid jakes, Harris? Yeah. Anyway, she sends him over this hair oil. <laughs> Smells sweet, like golden syrup. Wilco loves the smell, but he doesn't want to cast it around in his pack. So, he slathers it all over his barnet, goes to sleep, and in the middle of the night, he wakes up, and a rat is sitting on his shoulder, licking the oil off his head. <laughs> Wilco panics, and he jumps up, and when he does, the rat bites clean through his knee and runs off with it. No. This is the aspect of the film that I loved, is their conversations and getting to know who they are. I think it also drives home the fact that they're boys. Yeah. They are not yeah. men. These are boys out there. I can't even imagine sending my child off to war, mm -hmm. not knowing whether or not he is going to come back. And just devastating sequences of events and situations that they are in. Mm -hmm. I held my breath. And that... that apparent one take in the very beginning was captivating and brings you into this film. Well, and you speak to, you know, even if you survive physically, I mean, there's a reason that that whole generation was referred to as the lost generation. I right. mean, the men who came back were significantly damaged psychologically and emotionally, and obviously doctors at that point didn't understand what they were going through or how to treat this. Again, the, that I think is driven home very strongly. I can't shake that image. There's an image in which they are going across a, I don't even the know river? what it is. Not the river, but it used to, it looks to be like it was a field and oh, it almost seems like a oh. bombed out crater. It almost yeah. seems like a crater, like an, an alien landscape. And how do you, how do you grapple with that mentally? And, 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 and that's really, like I say, the thing that I took away from the film. You and I had talked earlier about some plot inconsistencies right. and things that really kind of <laughs> prevent it from being the perfect film. It took me out of the situation. Exactly. And, and that is a flaw to me. There, there were two instances that took me out right. and made me question In things. the last hour. Yes, yes, the last hour. But in that last hour, again, the cinematography is oh, it's incredible. Beautiful Roger Deakins, I think, is yes. the one who did this, where you have the night scene and the flashing of the artillery and the as sky. As he's running away. As he's running. Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. That was equally powerful as the one take, the seeming one take in the very beginning of the film. Yeah, and uh, we can't overlook the editor of the film because even though... It seems like one take. I read that the takes are only yeah. about eight or nine minutes, and there are seamless transitions. I mean, I thought we had gone a good half hour before I caught one, but really? apparently they're only about eight or nine minutes long, and they're able to piece this thing together to make it seem as though it is continuous. So that's an incredible feat as well. Yeah, it truly was. And I love George McKay. I think he is an outstanding actor. He was in Ophelia, one of my top films of 2019. And he was also in a favorite of mine, Captain Fantastic. I think mm -hmm. he's he is going to be a face that you're going to recognize thanks to 1917. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's going to get a lot of press once Oscar uh, nominations are announced on January 13th. So... And also one you need to see on a big screen, I think. Yeah. This is not one you wait for to watch at home. This really has an epic scope and an epic feel to it, and, and you need to see this on a big screen. 
All right, good deal. So we're gonna recommend going to see that one. There are a few flaws in it though. You can take a look at our reviews on Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. That's R-E-E-L. See how clever we are? We are so clever. Oh. <laughs> That brings us to Just Mercy. This was one of my top films of 2019, um, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. This is based on the true story of Brian Stevenson, who wrote the book, Just Mercy. Jamie Foxx plays the main character, who's accused of a brutal murder in town. He's used as a scapegoat, and he is placed on death row before he has even had a trial. Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson, a Harvard-educated lawyer who has taken it upon himself to help those who cannot help themselves who are wrongly accused on death row. This is a heartbreaking and infuriating tale about the injustices based on race and the depths that people will go to in order to save their own hide and bury somebody else. Michael B. Jordan has an exquisite performance in this. It's a very understated character, and he performs it with absolute eloquence. Um, Jamie Foxx, incredible performance as well. You really get a sense of the racial tensions that occurred in the 1980s, and unfortunately, we're still seeing this uh, occur in our own time period. This takes place in Georgia and in some of the southern states, and we see the inequities just unfold helplessly before us. I hope that they get some recognition, especially Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan and adapted screenplay. I'm hoping this gets some play as well when it comes time for Oscar nominations, which are just next week. This is a type of movie that relies on performances. I mean, we've seen tales like this before. And I think the key are sincere performances to make get sucked in and not brush this off as just, oh, another one of those stories. And you mentioned Fox, you know, he can't, I don't think there's anything he can do, he, he can't do. I agree. I mean, and I think he's very smart in his career because he doesn't make a movie every year. Have you noticed that? He'll mm -hmm. make one, then he'll take a break. He'll make one, he'll take a break. And I think sometimes we forget how good he is because he's not out there all the time. He's deplorable in Baby Driver. I loved him, though. Uh, he's great, yeah, yeah. Uh, you root for him in Django. And then here, but this is a different thing at all, uh, completely in Just Mercy, and he breaks your heart. Oh, he does. Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Jamie Foxx and his character talking with Brian Stevens and Michael B. Jordan. You rich boy from Harvard, you don't know what it is down here when you're guilty from the moment you're born. And you can buddy up with these white folks and make them laugh and... Try to make them like you, whatever that is, and you say yes, sir, no, ma'am, but when it's your turn, they ain't got to have no fingerprints, no evidence. And the only witness they got made the whole thing up. And none of that matter when all y'all think is, is I look like a man who could kill somebody. But that's not what I think. And as you said also, Jordan is quite good. He grows on me over the movie. I wasn't quite sure about him at the beginning, but really? once we get to the end, but I think that was purposeful because 
his character grows and develops over the course of this film as well. You know, right. he's 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 really green. Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's a young just, lawyer coming just, down, not knowing what he's up against. Right, he's coming from Harvard, and his everyone's trying to warn him. You don't have no idea what you're getting into. I love the scene early on with his mother, oh, who's mad yeah, at him. Yeah, well, she's her, scared for him and scared for him, and he kind of brushes it off, and then he realizes almost too late just what he's gotten himself into, and it's in, it was interesting to see the arc of that character over the course of the film. One guy you didn't mention who also gives a great performance is Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, absolutely. Man, and do yourself a favor. I was watching Nelson, and there's a physical thing he does, and I thought maybe it was exaggerated. Do yourself a favor. After you watch this film, go home and get on YouTube and type in 60 Minutes Just Mercy. There is a story on 60 Minutes that's referred to in the film that was done as the trial was being approached. And you see the real people and you see the real people and then compare them in your mind to what you've just seen with the performances. They are dead on. This guy that Nelson plays. Ralph. Ralph. What a, you know, you, you don't like him at first, but then you realize he's just like the Jamie Foxx character. He has been taken advantage of because of his lack of education, because of his poverty. He was put in a no-win situation as well. And he realizes, fortunately, that he does have time for some sort of redemption right. there at the end. It's a heartbreaking performance as well. He, he's incredible in everything that he does. I had a chance to interview both Tim Blake Nelson and Karen Kendrick, who plays the wife of Walter. Let's uh, take a moment and uh, listen to that. Having done this for a while, I'm, I've learned to resist the, the impulse I used to have to get there immediately. So I would read a character and, and be so fueled by fear that I wasn't going to meet the challenges that I would want to see my results immediately. And so right away, I'd try the character on, make bold choices, and find something. And that impatience to, to wait and let a character seep in was closing off other possibilities. And so what I've been doing lately, and I really did with this character, is reading over and over again, and in this case, watching tape of the guy over and over again, without ever daring to try it on. So just letting him live with me for a while. And then only when I felt like he'd seeped in and something was coming from within me, did I approach the voice and the physical aspect of his visage, et cetera, et cetera. And the visage is really strong. It's got it the scars and the uh, skin pulling his lip to the side. And that was, that was a really good way to work because I felt like by giving myself that time, I could connect with who the guy is. Right. I hope that it will encourage us just to connect more with each other as human beings on the planet to instead of being fearful or hateful towards what we don't understand, to try to understand that, that we are fearful and hateful about. I hope that it'll push the narrative just in terms of, of understanding and conversation towards reform in our legal justice system. Yeah. And I think that, you know, after, I don't think you, this is a film you can watch and remain unchanged. You have some decisions to make after you see this. One thing that I had, that it forced me to do, was consider 
there's so much work to be done. It seems kind of overwhelming. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So it forced me to ask and answer, what is your something? And I hope that people will really consider that. What can you do from where you stand? How can you affect change? How can you just be a kinder human being to the person next to you? We've, we've been inundated with social justice films here at the, the end of the year. And this one was, was one of the stronger ones. Not quite as good as Dark Waters, but still well worth watching. Yeah. I think the only weak link, or the, I shouldn't say it's a weak link, but think something I wasn't really convinced of was Brie Larson. Right. He plays one of Jordan's assistants, and it just seemed to be kind of a one-note characterization. Then again, maybe we have to look at the script, and uh, she wasn't really given much more to work with. Right. I, you know, I read the book uh, before the movie came out, and actually I saved the last 100 pages or 50 pages, 50 it was actually, so that I didn't know what happened in the end. I didn't want to know. I wanted that suspense to be left to the screen. And rarely can a screenplay replicate the book, and this one does. Although we do go into a lot more depth in the book on some of the other characters, and we talked about O'Shea Jackson playing one of those characters mm -hmm. in, the, in the movie. So we did, do get, obviously, a little bit more depth with each of the characters. However, the overall emotion of everything is still there, mm -hmm. and they do a phenomenal job of adapting this screenplay. Yeah, good film, yeah. good film. So we highly recommend that one? I recommend it. I you highly, highly recommend, recommend it. Because it did make my top 10. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh -huh. why don't we talk about what's uh, coming out for your enjoyment at home. At home. And speaking of home, we are sponsored by Sylvia's Irish Inn, which feels like home. It sure does. Doesn't it? It sure does. I think I've said this before, but it's like, you know, a warm blanket. It's just a warm blanket. And, and, you know, I'm looking forward to where the holidays are past us, and, and I haven't been down to see Sylvia yet this week, and I'm guessing she's probably put all of her gorgeous and elaborate Christmas decorations away, and now I'm starting to look forward to spring evenings, sitting out on the porch mm -hmm. and having a glass of wine and watching the people go by. Yeah, so if in the Champaign-Urbana area, Sylvia's Irish Bed and Breakfast, just the place to be. Now, this movie, though, that's coming out on DVD would not play well, I think it's Sylvia's. <laughs> uh, Joker is coming out. If you haven't seen it, if you've been living under a rock and didn't get to it, the first R-rated movie to make over $1 billion. I know, crazy. Worldwide. Yeah. And, and, and the folks at Warner's weren't sure about this one. <laughs> they weren't sure <laughs> this was going to make any money. I'm sure they had no idea it was going to make that much money. Really? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Okay. I mean, I'm sure I it was going to be a hit just because of the people who are involved and the and the the character. Right. I mean, he is in the, the DC Marvel whatever it is universe. Yeah. <laughs> I do that just so that Chuck's eyes are rolling, and they are. Yeah, They're rolling. a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, but the fact that this made so much money tells me that it it struck a chord with a lot of people, and it tells me that more that people went to see it more than once. Uh, you don't make that amount of money just on single viewings and, and word of mouth obviously helped. But I think this struck a chord beyond the whole superhero thing with a lot of people. I mean, for me, I took away from the fact that it was a call for further funding of mental health services. Absolutely. And I think that uh, I'd like to think that that was part of the reason that people went to see it. And hopefully somebody, I doubt it, but hopefully something will, will develop from that. Just out of curiosity, did this film knock on the door of your top ten list? 
No, okay. it did not. I only gave it three out of four stars. Okay. I mean, I, I gave it three and a half out of four. I had problems with it. There were times when I thought it was brilliant. There were times when it really frustrated me. And I think we both determined it was about 20 minutes too long. It definitely was. Now, one of the great performances of the year. Mm -hmm. But no, it wasn't in my top 10 list. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah. And actually, Joker's going to be out on DVD and you can stream it. So yep. they're doing the same day release for that. We've also got The Lighthouse that is now out on DVD. And we've got A Million Little Pieces and Paradise Hills. Those are all available on DVD. Okay. So I know you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. The Critics' Choice Awards, which are going to be on the CW on January the 12th. Here's my big question about this award show. What, what am I going to wear? Is it exactly. Okay. That's exactly what it was. Cool. Well, have, I've got you this decided, black dress. No, have you decided, though, on a dress? Because <laughs> no. how many? Are there three in the running? Two? There are three. I know I've there got have been... two backups and one main, but then, okay. you know, if I'm not feeling. Two backups. Two backups. So, what would constitute you having to go to a backup? I pop a button. You pop a button. Right. Okay. This has this dress was supposed to have decorative buttons down the front. Uh -huh, They're not. Uh -huh. They're actual functioning buttons. Who puts actual functioning buttons on a long dress? Oh my God. I know. I feel your pain. <laughs> feel your pain. And I hope, ladies and gentlemen, you're feeling my pain. Because this is what I deal with whenever we go to a function such as this. Actually, what usually... am I gonna wear? Oh my god, does this look okay? Oh, I don't like this. Let me go change. <laughs> Actually, it's more in the car driving to Chicago for an hour. He gets yeah. to hear the whole rundown on how many dresses oh. I have bought and oh. returned to Nordstrom. Now, I know that my acting classes have come in handy because I feign interest. <laughs> and I think you think that I, I you know, do. care. I'm, I'm crushed right now thinking that you were just acting. Well, maybe I was just acting here. Maybe. Maybe. No, I don't know. Okay. No, I'm going to question my no. self-worth. Well, here's what you need to do, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Go to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam the week after the award show, and you will see Pam in the dress that she decides to wear <laughs> that evening. And I'm sure you're going to look as beautiful as you did last year and as, as, you. as you do all the time. Thank you very much. And Tay Diggs is going to be hosting again, and I might be kind of excited about that too. Because you met him last year. <laughs> I did. Yeah. He's from Rochester, New York. I used to live in Rochester, New York. We had that whole Rochester. Rochester thing. You need to mention that this I, year. And you also need to make sure that you uh, introduce yourself to Antonio Banderas again this year. Because that was a highlight. It really was. That was a highlight. <laughs> yes. Mr. Banderas was sitting at his table last year, and uh, I was walking behind Pam. And there were a couple of people in front of Pam, and they just walked by and walked by. But when Pam got to Mr. Banderas' table, he said, hello. And I swear <laughs> to God, walking behind her, I saw her feet elevate off the carpet, and she was floating on that comment, as well she should, because uh, it was eye contact as well. I'm still floating on that one. Uh -huh. <laughs> hey, why are we going to be out there? I'm not sure. Oh, well, let's oh. talk about these okay. awards. Critics I'm still Choice. reliving the Antonio I know, just Banderas go for that. <laughs> I'll take care of business while you do that. Uh, Critics' Choice Awards, this is the 25th year, and the awards ceremony and the organization has grown by leaps and bounds, especially over the last five years. And if you are into a Oscar pool at work, it would do you well to watch the award show on January 12th because traditionally, historically, these award shows have been very good indicators of what wins the Oscar. And I think that'll be the same case this year. The Irishman from Netflix has 14 nominations, more than any other film. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has 12 nominations. Little Women, your favorite film, has nine <laughs> nominations. Not my favorite. 1917, which we just talked about, and Marriage Story have eight nominations, and then Jojo Rabbit, Joker, and Parasite 
have seven nominations. Those are the leading films. And as usual, we have the, the usual suspects in these, these list of, of uh, nominations. Uh, is there anything, any award particularly or uh, you're looking forward to seeing who will get it or anyone out there that you're particular to meet who will be there? Well, there is the best actor category, which I'm kind of excited about. We've got, are you ready? Yeah. Antonio Banderas huh? <laughs> for Pain and Glory. And Pain and Glory made both of our top 10 lists. Yes. Great film. Um, amazing Great film. film. And he did have, I think, a performance of his lifetime. You know, I've talked to other people who've seen the film and they agree with that. And the other thing that I come away from that is they say, uh, a couple of people have said to me, I never knew he could do this. Really? You know, this is a different type of role for him. Mm-hmm. He's not just the the good-looking guy. He had a chance to really sink his teeth into a character with a lot of depth, mm. and he really pulled it off. It was an incredibly moving performance. Oh, it is. I mean, just even thinking about his persona in this movie brings tears to my eyes. It was just powerful. Right, Incredible. and it runs completely against his image, and I think that's what works as well, because this guy in this film is frail, he's sick, He's really beaten down. Yeah. And and he, I don't know if Mr. Banderas lost weight for this role. It's maybe something I can ask him while you're standing to the side <laughs> you know, with your <laughs> blah, Google blah, eyes. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Uh, but he seems thinner than usual as well. But it's it's a great performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that whole category, I mean, we've got Robert De Niro, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver, Eddie Murphy, Joaquin Phoenix. And one of your favorites, Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. Yeah, and I'm torn between Banderas and Sandler. I really am. I am not. I know you aren't. (laughs) But uh, if either one of those guys win, I'll be very, very happy. If anyone else wins, I'll say, yeah, okay. But I just think Sandler... It's just such a transformation for him and a convincing one. Right. And I'm looking, I think it's going to come down to three. I think it's going to come down to Sandler, De Niro, and Banderas. Really? You don't yeah. think Adam Driver? I don't think that one's going to be a top runner. And, mm-hmm. I, don't, and I loved Eddie Murphy and Dolomite is my name, but I don't think that he could beat out any one of them. And I think Joaquin Phoenix is a wild card. Yeah. And I don't think there's anyone here who's not deserving. Oh, I agree. They all deserve to be Mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what makes it so interesting. Yeah, I think that's one of the best categories, actually, because then we look down at Best Actress, and we've got, oh, one of your favorites, The Farewell, Aquafina. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) Can someone please, listener out there, do me a favor. Watch The Farewell, and then please contact us through the website. Explain to me why that movie is good. Please (laughs) explain to me, because I just don't get it. I have tried, and I have failed. So please help me, people. Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, and Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. I don't think this is an exceptionally strong year for female lead actresses, which is very disappointing because actually, I guess there were more female directors this year than there has been in any year past, which is really uplifting. 10% of the top 10 forward. Right, top 100 grossing films were actually led by women, which Mm -hmm. is great, but we just don't have a lot of lead actresses this year. I'm not sure why that is. I think this is (laughs) Zellweger's award to lose, quite frankly. I think she's got it pretty well locked up. You know that I have great respect for Scarlett Johansson. I think she's the only competition here. You don't think Charlize Theron is is competition in this one? I don't think anyone's seen the movie. Ah, you're right. I think that's the big problem with that film. That movie just hasn't hit in the way that they thought it would. I, I, she she does a great job. Okay. I just don't think any, enough people are seeing the movie. And I I really think Aquafina has a really strong chance. And that would disappoint me. I would maybe have to. I would have to jump walk up and out. Down. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, her performance is that good, you think? I, I don't. I mean, I liked her performance. I would not have, have nominated her. Then why would My you jump up and down? There. Just because it would irritate just, you. Just out of spite? <laughs> well, we've Basically. gotten to that point. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then we, I think we have the strongest category here, Best Supporting Actor. And traditionally, it's always the strongest category, whether it be here or at the Oscars. You have these. What, what it's become is you have established actors taking then a more a lesser rule, and, and those scenes just tend to, with them, tend to just kind of pop a little bit better. Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse, Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins in The Two Popes, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci, both from The Irishman, and Brad Pitt from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't even know where you begin with this, quite frankly. Yeah. I, I think the one objection I have is Brad Pitt, he does a great job, but it's not a supporting performance. You he's think a he's co- a lead? He's com- I would, haven't gone back and timed it, but I would bet he has just as much time on the screen as DiCaprio does. Mm-hmm. But he but does an exceptional job. But it's kind of like, I guess they pick and choose which category they exactly. want their, their um, people to be in. Right. And that same situation comes up with Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price in right. The Two Popes. And I actually had a chance to talk with the writer and the director for this film, and I asked them about that. And they said, you know, first billing was Jonathan Price. He had just a little bit more screen time, a little bit more mm-hmm. dialogue. Than so Anthony that's how Hopkins. they determined it. Yeah. and But it, to me, on the screen, there was no difference. Right. Right. And I think they were both incredible. I really loved that movie. Yeah, and I don't even know what to say about this category. I'd be happy if any of them won, quite frankly. Yeah, I'd be really super happy if Tom Hanks won. Yeah. Just because that is I my know top that's your film, top of, the film year. of the year. Yeah. yeah. I would be happy if Defoe won. I mean, he's the guy who's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. He's always nominated, but never gets the... And, and he does consistently good work all the time. And he takes chances. That's what I really yeah. like about him. He takes chances on indie films as well as big-named films. And he's out there trying new things, pushing his yeah. own envelope. And I like that about him. And he seems really nice. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's a very nice guy. Let's go to, let's do one more. Let's do the Best Supporting Actress. And we've got Laura Dern in Marriage Story. She was incredible. Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit. I actually liked her in that. Uh, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers, Florence Pugh, Little Women, Margot Robbie, Bombshell, Incredible, and Zhao Zhuzhen for The Farewell. This is a stronger category than Best Actress, quite frankly. I agree. I agree. There's only one in there that I wouldn't, I would toss out, and that would be uh, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. I agree. Did you ever end up seeing that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Do you agree uh, with me on that one? I agree with you on the performances being good, but not exceptional. I, I think I liked it more than you. Do you? Okay. Uh, but it's a flawed film. Uh, I don't know what everyone's gaga over about yeah, it, quite I, frankly. I don't get it either. Quite frankly, this category, I mean, I think I would love to see Scarlett Johansson get something. And I, I, I loved her in Jojo Rabbit. And I also loved Florence Pugh. Yeah. I, I, I would be happy with everyone in that category getting it except Jennifer Lopez. And Florence Pugh was okay in Little Women. I didn't think she was a standout. Florence Pugh was great in Midsummer. Yes, she was. She was not great in this. She was just... Well, you know how I feel about you just have a You just have a problem with that movie. I do. You just have a problem with that movie. I do, and I am movie. on the outskirts on that one. Yeah, well, maybe you're wrong. Hey, you know <laughs> what, though? You can see whether what we want to happen will happen on January 12th. When the Critics' Choice Awards airs on the CW, it's live. Who knows? You might be able to see Pam and I scurrying around in the background because it is an active, active event 
and there's always a lot going on. And make sure that you check out our Facebook, our Twitter, uh, because we will be posting a, uh, pictures as they happen at the ceremony. And live video, maybe even too. We're going to see what we can squeeze in there, and I might have a glass of wine in my hand. Yeah, stuff you don't <laughs> normally see except the glass of wine thing. But behind the scenes type stuff of the award show, uh, it's always a good time. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week. We'll have another podcast for you to listen to, and we'll be reviewing everything that's coming out in theaters as well as DVD and VOD. Again, thank you to Sylvia's Irish Inn for sponsoring Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Check everything out at realtalkwithchuckandpam.com, and as Chuck says, that's R-E-E-L. Cherry blossom, darling.